start in comedy? Well, I I started, uh, I did a comedy course um, back in 2017, I guess it was, the end of 2017. I did a two-hour workshop, and uh, it was meant to just be comedy writing, but then um, your man, Kiran, who's a good lad, um, he, he was basically like, the first half of the class was just him talking shite about comedy, really. <laughs> And just kind of loosening everyone up. And then the second half, he was like, right, we're all, you're all going to do two-minute sets or three-minute sets about, like, your life. And sure everyone was, everyone was like, what the fuck? We're not doing, we can't do that. You know, we're not qualified. But he kind of goes, you know, that's that's the thing you got to get over. You know, just that fear. I don't even think the thing was a comedy writing. It wasn't even a stand-up. I think it was just a comedy writing class. But it was all funneled towards stand-up anyway, which is a miracle and a blessing in disguise, I suppose. And then I did that. I had three pints, I think, on the break. It was about a 10-minute break. Did that help? I think so, actually, yeah. But um, So then that, that kind of loosened me up a small bit, but I was fucking really nervous. And uh, I just I just, uh, I just, just did the thing. And then um, that kind of got me hooked. And then I did a six-week class after that with the same guy. And then there was a performance at the end of it. And then after that, I was like, I was done, you know? I was cause We had a great show at the end because, you know, with the comedy courses... And I recommend them for anyone who's who's a bit nervous about trying stand up comedy. It's a great way to start because you get a, you get you know you get feedback. You learn about how how to structure things, and then you get a performance at the end, and you get to rope your friends in to go see you at the end. And uh, so you get a nice warm crowd of people who want you to do well, and that's really important. To begin beginning, I think it's really nice to have a good show to start with because it gives you all the positive kind of feedback that you need that you're you're able to do this and. Your jokes are, have merit and all that kind of stuff. And uh, what what was your first show like, and how did it go? Well, the first gig I did actually wasn't the showcase one, the one that part of the course. It was actually I did an open mic in town in Dublin, and uh, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. It was too late to back out though because I did that on the Thursday, and then I had the showcase gig on the Saturday, and I was like, oof. So then I, I had to do the showcase gig because it was already booked. I was yeah, and then I did it, but then the showcase gig turned out great because it was just a it was just an electric. Uh, it's actually where the crack then um, the gig I'm doing tonight is actually in the same room the workman's as the showcase was on. Mm. So um, yeah, that gig went a lot better, and then I was I was totally hooked after that then. And the first gig you did was there much um, was there much nerves or like what were you what were you thinking in your head? Oh, there was extraordinary nerves. Yeah. I was thinking I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be here. Why have I done this to myself? Can I leave? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was, I was very nervous. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things you just got to get up on stage and do it that first time. And uh, once you do, then you realize it's really not that bad. Um, but it's, it is very nerve wracking at the start. It's not that nerve wracking anymore, but it used to be terrifying. One thing I was actually listening to the, um, I think it was the Crack Den podcast yesterday. I don't know, I don't know where you ever on that, but uh, yet, no. they. Uh, I'm trying to think. I can't remember who was talking. I think it was Aideen McQueen or something. Mm. But she was talking about like, you know, being a comedian or being a doing stand up. And uh, I always, I often think about this sometimes when I talk when I think about stand up comedians. But like, you're looking down at the, you know, you're obviously stand up doing your set, and like, you see someone like with their arms folded. You see people who like look like they're not enjoying mm. it or something like that. Like that's. Mm. Uh, does that ever like affect? I think she was kind of saying it didn't. She wasn't saying it affected her. She kind of learned to like kind of just like zone yeah. out yeah. from like just not to be looking at people individually. But yeah, well, do you ever notice that? Yeah, I know Aideen. She's she's a brilliant comedian. I know she's also got a lot of experience teaching, which I have had as well. 
And I think that's useful for stand-up because you kind of realize when you teach anyway um, that you can't please everyone and that so there's always going to be a student or a person who's kind of miserable or unhappy or looks disinterested. Hmm. So I think I personally just took that same philosophy into stand-up. When I saw people unhappy, I kind of was like, oh, well, no, no one's ever happy all the time, you know. So I always found it quite easy that particular issue because i see people unhappy don't well it's really bad when the whole crowd are doing it that's when you're in trouble well does that ever happen to you no? yes oh, of course it? yeah in some ways well they don't all look unhappy sometimes they just look horrified for you or they have a look of like unha- they have a look of concern on their face um that's just that's just like a bad set it happens occasionally um, not that much when you get a bit of experience but it can still happen sometimes it happens not because of you as much as the setup of the room Sometimes the host can be very new or the the person, the bar who's running it, put no promotion into it or something happens and it just all falls apart. And then it, you can have a really rough night. I had a really bad set there not long ago. I was I was actually supporting Deirdre O'Kay out in Bray with a couple of other comedians and everyone else had had a really good show, a really good set. And I just didn't. I just had a re- and I was doing the jokes I always do, which usually work. So I was really like. So I was like, as soon as the first jokes didn't work, I was kind of like, up, I was up on stage going, what's happening? Why is, why, why is no one liking this? Because these jokes always work some some of the time. They always get something. Or like, they, so, I mean, most of the time they always get something. Like this joke always gets a reaction, even if not, and that, even that joke wasn't getting a reaction. And that was pretty painful. Did you um, get any laughs that night at all? I don't, I got a couple of titters, you know. I got a couple of laughs here and there. But like in a in a 12-minute set, you should get more than a couple of laughs, you know? Yeah. But it happens. It happens, everyone. And, uh, it, you know, sometimes it happens without you expecting it. Like that night in particular, that was like back in February. That was like, I was doing, I was doing, I was doing well up to, up to then. I was in good spirits before I went on stage. I, I, I knew my jokes. Everyone else was doing well. So like there really wasn't any reason why it did. It shouldn't have gone well. I just didn't connect with the crowd, obviously, as soon as I got on stage. Maybe I rushed the start of it. Maybe, maybe I've met. I can't really remember what happened, but it was just anyway. These things happen. But um, again, so like I said, that's going going back to the the person looking unhappy in the audience. I don't know. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I I think the worst thing a comedian can do is is fixate on it because very few comedians are gonna. You know, it's it's kind of if you if you're if you're commenting on someone not having a good time. It kind of you're kind of given given emphasis to the, them not enjoying the show, and you know unless you do it in a very skillful way, I've seen a lot of comedians ruin what could have been otherwise perfectly good sets, or, or at least they kind of they create an awkwardness in their own set just because they decide to latch on to somebody who isn't enjoying it, and yeah. then and then from my perspective, I'd be looking at it going, this look, this is more about you than about the person because you're not you're not why why not just enjoy the performance forget about the person whose arms are crossed and sometimes people i had a, my my one of my ex-girlfriends when i started doing comedy her friend used to come along to all my shows at the very beginning and she had a famously miserable face and she 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 would cross her arms tight and she had a scowl on her face and she looked desperately unhappy and then afterwards she'd come up and give you a big hug and say i love the show and she wasn't being sarcastic she just she just looked really unhappy and I don't know why, and but like she would love the show, and she'd be telling you about the jokes she liked and why she liked them, so you knew she was listening. And so it's like you just can't ever really be a hundred percent sure 
Um, you're better off just kind of going, maybe they're enjoying it. They just have a miserable face. And even if they aren't enjoying it, who, who gives a fuck? Everyone else is having fun. Yeah, I, I actually think about that sometimes. Like, a lot of people just kind of have a resting bitch face. Like, most people yeah, she'd actually a, do. Yeah, she had a resting cunt face, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she's you... a lovely person. I, I can't emphasize that enough. She, I, I have a lot of time for her. She's a very sweet person. She just looked very unhappy at a gig. Like. Yeah, because even I, I'd almost feel a little bit, um, if I was at a comedy gig and I was like up the front, I'd almost feel like kind of, anxious to maybe i should but i feel anxious to like no not look like try to not look like that but like mm. if i was to naturally just like zone out i'd probably just be like this and just be looking up yeah and maybe no, i don't know do i have a resting bitch face or i don't i've never taken pictures of myself when i'm just like this but well, you seem like you've got a resting nice face you know oh, like thanks. you seem kind yeah well, we'll find out when i go to a comedy again uh, someone might comment on it um but like even like when i was abroad or whatever if you're looking someone like do, is doing an actor like don't yeah. like 10 people at it like in like yeah. just a bar and fucking tenerife or something like yeah and you're just sitting back and like um i don't think anyone commented on it to me personally but there's a lab beside me and or not a lab beside me my fucking dad beside me and he was kind of just sat similar to myself just no didn't look particularly like that but and uh, as i say we were both enjoying it and it didn't look like we were yeah so that's it's very hard to know as you say you can't get in your too you can't get too much in your head about it yeah um it's which, not a good idea do you get do you get in your head about like obviously you no one wants to get in their head about that, but does anything kind of does anything ever affect you as a comedian? Like, do you ever fixate on things or? Oh, can't, all the time. Do you mean like at the show, or do you mean outside? Yeah, of stuff it? at the show, like the example, like of like, yeah. your man crossing his arms. You're like, Jesus, why is he yes. doing that? Yes, I definitely have things that that I wouldn't care too much about. That that wouldn't be something that would bother me. I would be worried about people who are disruptive. People who talk a lot, people who are like, I like to shout things out during the show. That would that concerns me a thousand times more than someone who doesn't look happy. At least they're shutting, at least they're not saying anything. At least they're just quietly being unhappy or quietly being whatever. I can deal with that. You know what I mean? It's someone who talks to their friend loud, loudly of having it like that'll fuck up your whole set. Like that'll that'll destroy the whole thing. You know that's why I get annoyed when I see comedians shoot themselves in the foot when they see someone looking unhappy and they take they they go off they go they start talking you don't seem like you're having a good time is everyone okay and it's like they weren't even interrupting you like why are you interrupting yourself yeah. the person who heckles you or the person who's not listening who's on their phone who i've had people take calls in the middle of shows i always I, I, I literally mean... like yeah right yeah 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 just not i don't know why i went into an english accent there <laughs> i just guess it's I assume, but uh, it's like, hello, you're, yeah, and you're, you're literally like going like, I have to deal with this. You're on the fucking phone. Well, what did you say? You try and make it funny, like, but uh, I've seen, I've seen it happen once. I saw a friend of mine, Eddie, as well, in, in Edinburgh. He was in the middle of a show, and a woman got up in the middle of a show to go up to the stage to get her phone. That she'd asked him, could she charge her phone before the show as a face? So I, as, I remember he said, sure. I remember he charged it beside the stage. It was the only socket that was available. And then in the middle of the her set, or towards the end, she got up to check her phone, and she was right. He was. She had to get on the stage, like so. She totally fucking. So I don't know. People are out of their minds, man. People have no conception of like <laughs> what is or what isn't appropriate when it comes to stand up. No one would do that at a at a fucking theater show because it would be breaking the performance. But for some reason, as soon as someone has a microphone, they're talking to a crowd. The idea that they're performing becomes wishy washy. Even though it's, it, I, you know, it's every bit as challenging, and it's even more fucking difficult, like to actually interact to 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 entertain a live crowd, 
you know, you can't just do the exact same thing every time and it won't always just work perfectly because every crowd's slightly different. You always have to be thinking on your feet. You always have to deal with whatever's happening. Like in a in a stand-up show, people will heckle, people will disrupt. You know, you, you have to control these things. You know what I mean? It doesn't tend to happen in music shows or, or art. You know what I mean? If people are disrupted, they just get rejected immediately. In stand-up comedy, people think they need to be interruptive to be part of the show. So it's kind of... And they don't. People don't understand as well, like that the rhythm of comedy is, is is everything. Like everything, the rhythm of the joke is everything. So like when you shout things out, when you when you when you're interfering with the performance, you're totally messing with the rhythm of everything. You know. I think people. I I could be wrong here, but does things like people heckling and like people just showing like just disinterest does that happen more when like you're in a like say you're just in a random bar where like the the gig isn't like promoted at all it's yeah. just like lads are just in having a drink and this yeah, fucker walks up on yeah. stage like if yeah. it was like um yeah. john o'keefe is playing the gig and everyone's there to see you yeah i would guess and now you could still meet the odd prick who just goes and is dragged along by his wife or something or yeah know, someone doesn't want to be there but imagine it's them gigs are probably tougher when you're just you're just thrown into a bar and yeah, no they're, knows here. they're difficult. Yeah, you can have really bad sets in those kind of environments. As soon as, as, soon as you might get onto like somewhere like local, like Atlone or, or or even Minute, for example, it could be a bit similar where it's just it's a local bar and people aren't expecting comedy and they're, they all kind of know each other. So there's a bit of a, who the fuck is this? What the fuck's going on over here? Like, what's this nonsense hmm. in our bar? <laughs> I don't know about that now. You know what I mean? Um, but again, then again, it comes down to people like, you know, as soon as you, you know, I think I gotta be honest. I think females heckle more than men. Do you think? Definitely. Like there's a, there's a, and it's always usually drunk people. It, it, alcohol tends to be the common, the common denominator. And, you know, I don't care if it makes me sound sexist or whatever. Like women seem to feel more, if they get aggrieved that they have more of an entitlement to shout out and be upset about things. Men don't tend to do it as much. I don't know. I don't know why. Just in my experience, maybe because I'm a man. Maybe if, maybe if a woman was on stage, she'd be saying men heckle more. I don't know. I can only speak from my perspective. And it's always kind of it, well, not always, but do you, it's mostly negative kind of heckling. Like, you know, like kind well, of heckling. heckling you know, shouts up part of your joke or something. Or yeah, to me, I mean, heckling. Heckling's kind of. I I think for me, a heckle. I think I've always looked at a heckle as like like as as a tiered system. You have like heckles that are considered helping the show, then heckles maybe in another category where people are just shouting out the punchline or saying, "Oh yeah, that happened to me," or they're not even trying to; it's just involuntary. And then there's the very very slim category of heckles that are like intended to disrupt your show, like "Your shit, this is crap," "You're fat," "You're ugly," "You're stupid," whatever. Would you, would you get much of things like that? I've hardly ever had anything. I'd say maybe twice or three times I've ever heard that last category of heckle. And I think even both of those times, I kind of brought it on myself to an extent too. Because, you know, I don't know if you ever heard this, like the greatest fear people have in life is public speaking. Yeah. And the second greatest fear that people have is being spoken to in public. So it's almost the same thing, you know, like if you're in a crowd and someone talks to you, it's almost like you're on stage speaking in a way, even though you're not, but like you're, everyone's all of a sudden focused on you and you're so, so when you talk, so I came back to that thing where I was doing crowd work, which is just speaking to the crowd, which is what a host t- typically tends to do. And I, I asked, the, I said to a guy, he was doing this thing and I said, you look, uh, you look, you look a bit unhappy or, or he said, and then he, then his, 
his response was, yeah, I'm just waiting for you to say something funny or, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it got a bit of a reaction from the crowd. Um, and then that's, that's you know, and then I, in that moment, I was like, all right, so that was him just, if I hadn't said anything to him, he would never have said that, I guarantee you. Like, if I hadn't said, are you having a good time? he wouldn't have felt emboldened to shout it out. I don't think it was in his heart to do that, but it was the fact that he was unhappy. As soon as I started speaking to him, I could see that he had this like, you know, oh, you're not going to make a fool out of, you know, he had this just immediate defensiveness. So he had that like just reactivity, which is... People so, do get that as well. Like one thing, people are... Yeah. Especially when you're at like a kind of a small gig or something and you're like... Yeah, and, this, and it wasn't like, and, and it wasn't like I was doing particularly well anyway. I was only after starting doing stand up. Now that was back in, it must have been, could have been late twenty eighteen or early twenty nineteen. But I was very new to stand up. It was a gig that that's in Limerick. That's not in the shale of Fab. Unfortunately, the woman who um who actually ran it passed away. She was brilliant uh, to people who did comedy down there. But um, it was a nice little venue, and it was a great place to to start because she used to give really, she used to pay really well. For new for new acts like and she used to also um give really long sets for new people however it didn't necessarily lead to a great show you know uh giving paying new comedians to do long sets uh, is never is probably not a good idea for the quality of the show because um you know newer comedians are famously terrible for a while until they kind of get their they get their stuff together so that was the first time i had that happen the second time it happened in that loan this is even more educational because I was going around to everyone. I think I was having a bit of a better set. Yeah, was it at, was it wasn't it at Lone? No, it was in fucking no Mullingar actually. There's a there's a place in Mullingar that does comedy every week. And uh, and I was chatting to your man and the crowd and I can't remember what I said to him, but I kinda said something and he goes, It'd be funnier than your set anyway. It's the same exact same joke as your man did. And I, I, you know, I didn't even, care. I didn't even, at that stage, I didn't even care because I was a bit more experienced and I just kind of brushed it off. I didn't even, because I was already having a good set. So I just knew your man was just doing that thing. And then afterwards he came up and shook my hand and he even said to me, man, I'm so sorry. I, I have no idea why I said that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I know exactly why you said it. Cause it was just, it was the get it off me. Like now it's on me now. Yeah. And now I'm going to get it off me immediately. It's like it's like it's like it's child child thing. You know what I mean? It's like it's like what a kid would do, really. Yeah, and so, it, it probably is panicky as well. Whenever there's, as you said, like the second, yeah. What was it, the second most scary thing is when you're publicly spoken. I think to. I heard someone say that to me. Yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But like you know, you are on the defense because yeah, you don't. But, no, no one like very small percentage of people want a full yeah crowd looking at them. I so I I used to when I before I started doing stand up. I used to avoid going to comedy gigs for that reason. I was like, I can't, I don't want to be talked to in the crowd. And, I, and so, I mean, I completely try, I always forget that when you do stand up, you forget how, how vulnerable people feel in those environments, you know? So that was the only, so that was the second time it happened. And then I've heard people saying things to themselves or saying things like this or that, but it was never considered a heckle. I don't know. So my views of heckles are very like, like that to me never very rarely happens. Um, people aren't typically that mean-spirited, you know, unless you put them on the spot. Obviously, anything can happen in a comedy show, though. But most heckles are just people either thinking that they have to shout things. They want to kind of, it's an attention-seeking thing. They're actually not trying to derail you. They're trying to make the show better, but really they're trying to make the show about them as well, you know. Mm. There's a little bit of a, a little bit of ego, egotism and self-aggrandizement in it. Like It's like, I'm going to be the one who makes the show fantastic, you know. <laughs> I'm going to set you up comedian. And then their, their defense is always, Oh, I'm helping the show. 
um and it's really not like it's they're just they're just being a stupid idiot you know what i mean but some comedians some comedians love that like it's getting there's different types of comedy you know there's, there's some comedians who are crowd work centric kind of comedians that means their set is very interactive with the crowd so and they can they they love that shit because they can take anything you say and turn it into gold you know but more, a lot of comedians are very nuanced and most of them don't want to have to repeat because if you're in the middle of a setup and you're like da, 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 you're setting up the joke setting up the joke every word is essential and then someone shouts it out like about three seconds before the punchline then the punchline can't work it just can't possibly work because the rhythm has totally changed maybe maybe 15 percent of the people will still get it but the entire the whole mood of the bit is just is just completely gone so the only only thing the comedian can do is try to make a funny joke out of what your manner one did and then they have to repeat the whole fucking joke again so it's just you know that's you know it just doesn't help you know it's just irritating yeah yeah, but um, because of like because sometimes people have seen maybe Jimmy Carr on TV taking the heckles thing that they think that that's what comedy is, but I don't know if this is true or not. But I heard someone say that Jimmy Carr was so aggrieved at people shouting out stuff during his show that he literally just made a whole section of his show for heckles. He was like, "Fine, you just get it all out of your system now." So you could, so I can actually do what I do because I, 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 that would make sense as a comedian that you would be so annoyed by it that you would actually just make it into part of your show, to just to go. Here you go. There's five minutes. Let me do my fucking show for the rest of the time. Yeah, you'd still find it very hard to like, you know. I don't know if that's true or not. That's yeah, just, that's yeah. Nice oh yeah. I, I, even if you did like five minutes of star for heckles very hard to keep everyone silent for the rest of the gig as well yeah you're, you're kind of set yeah i wouldn't say maybe not starting the show at heckles because that might that might embolden people to keep doing it then yeah it's hard to know it's really hard to know it's not a bad idea though actually now that i come to think of it like at least having some part where like it like you're never going to stop you can't stop everybody you know talking shite like you can't because as well as that then you can't turn it into a fucking silent theater or a silent comedy club because then that's yeah that's twice as shite then like you what you want the odd thing shouted up like, once it's not too fucking bad um yeah you don't because i think if it's like a silence thing that it takes away from the the atmosphere of the whole place yeah it's hard to know i i i, I, I there's some shows that that do heckle only shows too or they're like you know they, they actually set it up that way so i mean i mean those shows are great you know i wish i'd be nice if crowds got that into their heads if if if, if they say heckles welcome then go for it but if there's no heckles welcome then but that used to be i think but you know you can't really get too annoyed about heckling too on comedy because it just comes with territory you're creating an atmosphere of giddiness and fervor you know i'm going up the stage telling fucking pedophile jokes yeah and fucking all sorts of dark shit or just weird stuff or pushing the envelope here and there or just saying things that are a little bit you know could offend people so you know you kind of have to expect a little bit of backlash occasionally yeah 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 um what well, how far would you push the boat out with the joke i've never seen one video you've done or any of your mm. you know your your set i don't know one thing you've done how far would you push out any jokes or are they very kind of mainstream and just i don't know i i definitely have some dark jokes in my set but i try not to go i try not to lead with shock value mm. just because i think then you're going down a very specific path of what kind of comedian you are and when i first started doing um stand up like the sets that i was telling you about I kind of did a lot of comedians do this. They, you know, they, they, they kind of, it's always a defense mechanism. It's maybe more of a lad thing than a female thing that I've seen anyway. But it, 
certainly a lot of lads that I've seen, they just go, right, I'm just going to write the darkest jokes possible. I'm going to be that guy. I'm edgy. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's totally just a defense mechanism. And then you go on stage, you try that a few times and you realize, oh, fuck, this isn't, this isn't the reaction I want. I don't want, I don't feel good after doing these. Is this really what I want to say? Then you see other, then you'll start seeing other acts and you see really clever sets and really good jokes. You see how the crowd react to it and you're like, oh, I really enjoyed that. Why don't, I wish I could do that. I'd rather do a joke like that. So it just takes it, you know, it's almost like you, you get rid of that. And so then for a while, I would say I nearly leaned too far the other way. I was trying to be a little bit too happy go lucky. And that kind of co- coincided with me hosting a lot because about three months into doing stand up, um, a guy kind of asked me would I kind of co run a comedy night with him. So then I started hosting that pretty regularly and uh, promoting that club. And then that, then I kind of leaned nearly too far into the being too sweet and like, like not wanting to be offensive. You know, I didn't like that either because um, it's easier to get laughs that way when you sort of appeal, pander a little bit. But you're, I definitely seem likable kind of thing. Yeah, but you don't. I mean, that's not really who I am. You know, at, at my core, I'm not like this trying to make everyone like me kind of person. I have that element of me, but then I have the other element, which is just being frustrated and dark and sort of cynical and bitter, you know, like the whole, the whole panoply of human experience, you know? So I didn't want to just kind of be just too one dimensional. So now I think I've kind of struck a good balance, but I think I'm more, I think I'm more like who I really am on stage. I think, and that's what typically happens, you know, with experience. I think I'm more close to who I am off stage on stage now, you know, it's, it's just an extended version of me. So it's closer to who I really am, you know. And who are you then to ask a deep question? Like, you know, like who am I? I don't yeah. exist. Uh, <laughs> you know, there is no me. We're all this is all an illusion. Yeah. No, um, I'm uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's I just do. I just talk about myself, where I'm from, what I do, my hopes, my dreams. I talk a lot about relationships. I noticed that that's kind of a theme I've noticed. I talk a lot about women, women, <laughs> women I'm dating, dated kind of uh, there's definitely like you find topics in your life that that seem the crowd resonate with. So there's like a hit rate with comedy, you know, it's like you write about a topic and then how how much of a success. So I'd say like when I write about relationships or dating, I'd say like 50% of the time those bits work pretty much straight away or they, they get traction. So that's great. But then the only problem is then it's like you don't want to have too many bits with like, you know, just the, the similar kind of, you know, it's like it's kind of a fine balance because you you need stuff that works and you have to you have to you have to write about stuff that the crowd responds to but at the same time you just need to make sure you just need to make sure that you're um what would I be trying to say there you don't want to just be doing the exact same thing over and over again i suppose you know so it's, i don't know relationships that's i talk a little bit about that um exes and uh being irish a bit too you know Nothing too. I, I, I'm hoping to get more like esoteric with my comedy, or maybe that's maybe not the right word, but like more like um, I want to write. You know, because when you start off doing comedy, it's really I heard people say everything I'm saying is just stuff I've learned from different books and, and comedy teachers and watching comedy over the years. But when you when you're starting out in comedy, it's almost like you're learning how to play play scales. It's like if you were learning an instrument at the beginning, you'd learn how all the fucking scales and you do all the rigmarole. Then eventually, after five or ten years, in theory, you'd be able to just do everything without even thinking. It's all just second nature. So I think when you're writing jokes at the beginning, you're kind of you're trying to learn setup, punchline, tag, 
Um, I don't know if you know these terms are in terms of comedy. Like mm. a tag is just a, a punchline that's after the punchline. Right. So, you know, really good comedians, you'll see that they'll have set up tag, set up punchline, then they might have two or three or four, or even five or six tags, depending on how funny. That's how you get really good, like routines where everything is just laugh, 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 laugh. So you need, it's really the secret of comedy is just tags, you know? And um, so I forget my point, but <laughs> it was. Like, uh, I forgot what I asked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did I say? You know, I said, who, yeah, you, you did answer it. In fairness. You answered the question. I just, my memory wouldn't be the most hectic. Um, yeah. And I suppose it's kind of important to kind of portray who you actually are when you're doing comedy. Like, you know, the way we were talking yeah. earlier about, like, you know, like people like acting arrogant on stage and people like, you know, being a certain type of character or something like that. It's important. Like, I don't think it matters what kind of you portray once it's some way not a million miles away from what you actually are. Because then, yeah. you know, I, I know obviously it is an act, but you don't, you maybe you don't want to be, yeah pushing about it so much that you're trying too hard yeah it's hard to know i uh i think most people they're the most successful thing is probably just going to be a an extended version of themselves what can i ask you about the drink so you quit the drink for was it four years four years yeah i only just recently uh, broke my sobriety which i felt guilty about but i don't actually care anymore because uh i kind of just enjoyed having a drink because i was drinking non-alcoholics and i was off so i started i started doing comedy five and a half years ago and uh you get paid in drinks a lot when you do stand-up you know you don't get much money for stand-up in many cases um you can you can get like okay pay for like hosting shows or doing doing headline spots or whatever around ireland but um, if you, if, you know typically you're getting you're not getting compensated for the stage time sometimes you just get a few free pints maybe 20 quid for a set or something like that so it's very easy to slip into a pattern of just getting getting a few drinks into or people often buy you drinks you know a very common thing is like ah oh, let me buy you a drink you know which is a nice gesture um but obviously a good way to turn you into an alcoholic you know what i mean and uh i also found that the newness of doing comedy i was just doing i was just i was excited you know you have a whole new social circle loads of people everyone's everyone's got the same passion the same interest everyone's dissecting the sets everyone's bitching about some people who got a gig that they didn't get you know whatever the whole world of of stand-up comedy you know whatever sort of i'm sure it's the same in every art form you know and um so you're just out and you just you just it's very easy to get into a pattern of just going out having pints meeting people catch up for a drink everything's so new as well at least it used to be so new so and then i just about a year and a half in i just kind of realized you know i'm drinking too much it was just it was just it was, you know, it was just I wanted to stop drinking for a while anyway. Even before I, even before I started doing stand up, so it was just a good opportunity to kind of knock it on the head. So I just did it for a year initially, and that was a very difficult year. And the fact, and the fact that I got through that year it made it almost seems like rude to stop after a year. Like I was like, if I survive that year, I owe it to myself to keep going a bit longer, you know. Um, because I did the I did the full the, my first Fringe Festival. Uh, just a few weeks after being sober the fringe festival is the, the festival in, in um, edinburgh that happens every year i'm going to it in a couple of weeks now again so i literally just quit drinking was it the end of june or start of july 2019 um and then i did the fringe festival in august for the month and that was very tough because you know drink, that was the first time i really needed a drink as an escape that i couldn't use it and it was like for a whole month so i was like so i got through that anyway then I, then I just carried on after the year of sobriety 
And then I got to, I think it was just, maybe it was just under four years, probably like three, three, three years and like 11 months, maybe like two weeks shy of four months, four years or something. But I just, I was in Bratislava with a, with a friend and uh, I just, I was just like, you know what? I just want to have a fucking drink. And I had like two beers and it was like, I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. And did it take much like um, willpower, like the first few months or year of getting out to drink? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. Like the Edinburgh Festival was was very difficult. That was the hardest thing, I think, was getting through the Edinburgh Festival. Then after that, it was a bit easier, but um, it was still an old habit that was in me. But um, I think it took what the hardest thing was, I think it took a long time for like people that knew me to kind of accept that I was off, you know, because a lot of people were like, ah, yeah, yeah, but you'll be back on it again in a couple of, a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it, you know, kind of almost like they were like needing me to continue to drink or something. And uh, so I, luckily I'm quite a stubborn person. So I was like, no, I'm uh, I'm not going back on it. So a lot of it was just pride as well. Like I was like, I'm just going to be stubborn about this. But then that's why that's why when it came to like recently, I was like the pride of not drinking had kind of gone away. But I was kind of like, you know, I could see myself having a few pints here and there and still having a perfectly functional life. Like I don't because another thing I didn't mention, actually, I, I had developed some sort of stomach problems as well, I think, from from. I don't know if it was just alcohol, but I think it was just like living kind of a little bit unhealthy for a period. So I think I just, but all of that seems to be gone now. So, I mean, why not enjoy life for a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's easy to see how someone gets into the the little cycle of like when lads are buying you pints and it's all good crying, you're getting into the yeah. comedy scene. And it's all, you know, it starts off all positive and it's grand. Um, I also feel like at the moment, just to add to that point, where I... I, I haven't actually drank in Ireland since I've I've kind of because I, I I was in Bratislava doing doing a gig about a month ago, and I was just in Lisbon last week, doing a few gigs and meeting some friends. So those two places I had a few pints, but like I haven't I haven't I have had no interest in like in Ireland I still feel like I'm sober even though I definitely will drink here in the near future. You, but you don't have as much interest in. Like I, I guess because I've lived in Ireland for the last four years sober, I, I associate me being sober with Ireland. And it was just, I went to Bratislava, I was in a new place, everyone was drinking. You can't really get non-alcoholics in, in the place I was in. And it was, just, it, was just a, it was just a combination of all those things. I was like, ah, fuck it, I can have a drink. And then, um, and then in Lisbon again, I almost didn't want to have a drink, but then I just had a glass of wine. So I, I, it was very mild, you know. So I feel like my attitude towards drinking has changed a lot. Like I feel like I literally can't take or leave. I always could take or leave it, but I'm saying I literally don't feel like it would be an issue now. Like I mean, I don't even really want to drink. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a strange situation. But I think that's probably a good place to be. It's like I don't want to drink, but if I'm out and I feel like having a drink or two, I will, and then I'll just go home and live my life. You know what I mean? You don't feel like the need to do it. Like I think that's when it probably gets yeah, unhealthy. Feel, it's like I, feel, I need, yeah, I need yeah, to do this. I feel to... no need. I don't even want to drink. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like it's yeah. very strange. It's, it sounds like a strange way to be conceiving of it. Like it's like I feel like this is the healthiest possible attitude. I feel like this is the way you should feel about drink. It's like I don't care, but I'm also not if it's there and I feel like I'm in the humor on the particular night. I might have a beer or two, yeah. or I might not. You know what I mean? Surely that's. That seems like a healthy attitude towards it to me. I, whereas before I used to be like, I'm getting smashed. Get, where's the fucking pub? Let me feed me drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. It's, that's that, and that's just learned fucking behavior. Like it's not, it's, there isn't a real need for the alcohol. It's just a need to 
be doing something. It's almost like itching your face. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I just need to be itching my face because I've learned I need to itch my face in this situation. But I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there is certain days I'd feel like that. Or, and not, not like out of some negativity. I don't know. Maybe you're just kind of in, in a good mood. You almost get a bit of a buzz. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get smashed yeah. tonight. Get, okay, well, alcohol's absolutely addictive. Like, yeah, you know, oh, it is. Not, yeah. Let's not pretend it's not a very addictive substance. So it's a, it, I think the attitude you have is hugely important. So I feel like the attitude I have, and I guess that's a very long way of saying the attitude I have now towards drinking feels so much healthier than it used to. Yeah. I'd like to think I have a healthy enough relationship. And there's times, actually, I was thinking, like, there's times I really would love a drink. I'd love a drink more than others. Yeah. Like, you know when it's really cold and it's, yeah. like, miserable? It's like, oh, I couldn't be arsed. Yeah. It's a really but sunny orange day. Orange juice might give you a similar feeling. But, you yeah. know, there's the alcohol, maybe, maybe not got, 10 orange juices. Got, yeah, 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 yeah. But you got the 10. You've, sorry, you've got the you've got the escapism aspect of, of drinking, which is nice, you know. There is there is that like it's it's like a pressure valve. It's like you know that when you sit down and have a few pints, not only is it nice and refreshing, or at least you perceive it to be, but you have that like I'm going I'm going to be able to get I'm going to yeah I don't know if the, I don't know if it actually works or not because alcohol might cause you more problems. It does for the few hours I suppose. Yeah, pissed, but yeah, in your head you feel like it causes you some. Then the next day you wake up, you feel worse. You got to take some painkillers. In my case, I used to have stomach problems. So like you know what I mean? It's it it. It's not necessarily, a, certainly not a panacea, but uh, I think, yeah, I think going after for a while is a good thing. I definitely recommend that. I think, I think quitting alcohol for a while and then maybe, maybe going back and then if, if you feel like it, I think that's a good, I think I, I feel, I saw, I read some research that said that people who go off alcohol for an extended period of time and go back on it, they, they almost always tend to drink far less than they did before. Or they, it's a very common thing for people to drink less once they've been off it for an extended period of time. Yeah. Which is a nice, nice. And it's kind of about who you drink with as well. Like if you, if you drink with people who like, you're only, that is true. You're only drinking because, you know, you want to make yourself feel a bit more comfortable around them and they're not really great fucking friends of yours. But if you're around people who are like, yeah, you, you know, lose friends when you don't drink. That's, that's a, that's a thing I've noticed. People don't say that enough like that. You, you, you do lose a lot of friends because that's the, because that's all a lot of people, not all a lot of people do, but it is like the main highlight of their week. Like, like, you know, like I yeah. I love a few pints and I won't go too mad most of the time, yeah. but it shouldn't be the highlight of your week. You know, that shouldn't really be the highlight of your week. There should have should be other things going on. Yeah. Not that you have to be fucking climbing mountains and, you know, skydiving every week, but there should be something more going on in your life than, you know, looking into a glass, like, you know. Yeah. I think I was definitely guilty of that when I was younger, just drinking too much and making it the priority. But then you do have this fake social circle, this fake. When I say fake, that doesn't mean it's bad or not. It's just it's amplified. Maybe that's a better word than fake because, like I said, you you make friends, and that, that's not to say that you don't get along with these people. I think you do get along with these people. I think you have a rapport with them. It's just that the main connection you have is drink and alcohol and being at the pub, you know, mm. or that kind of thing. And you just don't tend to have. You just wouldn't make the time to meet up and go do other. You wouldn't go fishing together. Not that I go fishing anyway, but you know what I mean. You just you wouldn't bother. There's other friends that you will kind of you kind of learn who your real friends are, or who or who the friends who are are going to be there for you outside of maybe just going to the pub. Um, but I never pretend that like there isn't great advantages to to having a, a social life and drinking and stuff like that. However, I do as, as funny as it sounds. I think. I was uh when I I think it was easier to to meet women or at least to pick up women at least not easier but I think it was it, there was an advantage to being sober when when let's say you're going out to a bar obviously you know you're not going to be attracted to people who are pissed drunk you know what I mean that's not an attractive thing but first of all you can spot them much easier 
if you're sober, yeah. you can see who's who's already out after. Because if you're kind of half drunk, you it's kind of it can be hard to know how drunk another person is if you're already kind of cut yourself. So like, but if you're if you're stone cold sober, and you're out and it's like early in the night, like you can actually see what's happening. You know what I mean? Like the worst thing I think when you're single and you're out, you're drunk and you just you have no sense of what's going on. So you can make a real tit of yourself then in those situations. But if you're stone cold sober, you can actually read situations very well. And if you've got a bit of charm and a bit of confidence about you anyway, you can just kind of move things along in a natural kind of way. And know? have you ever gone up and like chat up a girl on a night when you were like sober? Oh yeah, loads. Oh yeah, yeah. Does that yeah. take, is there any fear in that or do you just kind of go up and... Not really, not as much because like, I, like it's kind of similar to what I was saying. Like when you're sober, you can kind of see who's probably going to be... Like if you're really if you're sober and you're out and you're watching, like in the, when everyone's had a few drinks, they tend to be a lot more obvious about their signals. Anyway, they tend to be a lot more obvious about their behavior. But usually, if you're drunk or if you're tipsy and they're tipsy, you might miss these things or you might misinterpret. Or but if you're stone cold sober, you can sort of read people much easier. I think. So I think to answer your question, if I saw someone who was looking like they were giving me eye contact or whatever, I would just be able I, I would just have more confidence like i'd say oh she seems to be interested because it looks like she's interested i'm i think it's pretty obvious because i'm gauging it because i'm totally sober you know what i mean i can see everything mm. the only problem then when, when you're is is when you meet people like it's like are they pissed drunk is this you know because you don't want to be around drunk people obviously if you're sober and they're drunk as well that's going to be there's gonna be an ethical sort of issue there too so yeah. you gotta be it's hard to know. That's the that's the flip side of it. Like as well, you're kind of trying to find people who who've had no more than three or four drinks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that they're like they're no more than tipsy. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, as you said, there is a slight ethical issue. With so that. it's hard to know. Like, there's a lot of moving parts with all this stuff. But um, because here's the thing: because I do stand up, I still tend to meet when I when I'm single. I still tend to meet most of the people in bars through comedy comedy related activities yeah so you're it's always co- in, in that kind of environment yeah and it's and there's so much drink like in, I, I don't know the industry at all but yeah. like drink is so much a part of it like you know you're yeah. meeting people who are drunk but i've never been like a one night stand kind of person anyway yeah. i've always been a get a number take meet someone a few days later kind of thing you know what i mean that's that's typically because i feel like logistically that's the only way that makes sense anyway because i don't know if i've cut across you there if you're making no no point, no, no. But, it's more just about you can see why I talk about relationships on stage now. It's like I'm always, but like I was thinking about um, like when you're out with people, like sometimes the logistics of the situation just mean it's untenable. You know, like women in a group are impossible. Like if you're out, if you're out and you meet like three girls visiting from fucking Carlisle, mm-hmm. and even if one of them is throwing themselves at you, if they're there for two nights, unless they're a very specific kind of friend group, they're they're not. You're you're not breaking them up from their friends. They're over in, they're over in Dublin for two nights. You're just some dickhead they bumped into in Temple Bar or wherever the hell they met you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not going to ruin. Look at this. I read. I read this is a bad example because I'm trying to come up with an example of setting dates up down the line. But I would just say, even if you meet a bunch of girls who are out with their friends, it's like that night you're probably not going to have much success. You know what I mean? You're not going to, you know, you're not going to sweep her off her feet and you know steal her away unless it's like one of those crazy romantic kind of stories. But chances are, your best bet's going to be. Can I get your number? I'll we'll go out for a drink in a few nights. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Or, or you know, 
whatever. Yeah, but as you said, that's probably the best the best way to do it because um, I don't know. I'm no expert. That's just that's just been my my experience. You know. Yeah. I don't yeah. go to nightclubs like I was saying to you um, before we started. Or I, it's not never been my style. Even why Why don't you like nightclubs? I hate the environment. I feel like I'm I'm not I'm I'm like a shell of myself in nightclubs. I'm like a tenth of who I am. Like I'm way more confident in every other environment. Nightclubs just the music upsets me. The vibe upsets me. Like people who I would have no concern about in day-to-day life. In that environment, I feel like they're more stressful. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just It just doesn't work for me. It never did. Even when I was 20, 19, 18, I hated nightclubs. I never liked them. They're very, they're very intense. I, I, I don't go to them that often, but I, I um, it's actually something I must get to them before the summer ends. But uh, yeah, they are very intense. Even you see the videos of like just whatever, just general videos. Yeah, like just, it's just some people thrive in those environments. But I just it was never me. I I never do. Don't like dancing. Don't like. Don't like loud music. Don't like nightclub vibes. Just yeah, it's not for me. But I mean, much be yeah, much more of a pub kind of person, or uh, yeah, nightclub. Or sorry, a comedy club in a bar. You know, like whatever that kind of vibe would be much more my my. I that's my home. That's my environment you know what i mean i feel like a king in that environment you know yeah you know i like the just sitting at a table I, I like a busy pub kind of thing that's i like the yeah. middle ground you like, can do a lot of damage in pubs too you know oh I mean? yeah you just, you just need to you just need to you find your terrain find your terrain we um we actually went to limerick i don't know do you know this pub we went, we went to Dermot kennedy i was saying um went to a pub after fitzgerald's so it's been so long since i lived in limerick but, but uh, uh, yeah, we were in there, and I remember the next day we were getting the taxi back to the train station, and uh, your man was saying... It's a brutal train station, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh, fucking... It's, it's a building site. Like, it's grim. <laughs> but he was... Taxi driver, real Limerick man, like real yeah. fucking thick rubber bandits. Yeah, Limerick yeah. Accent, that's like. a real accent. That's not Class. a joke accent. Yeah, it's such a good accent. Really, yeah, it's true. I tell you, I, remember I, do, I do a joke in my set, actually, about the Limerick accent. Um, so I, op- I open my set talking about Limerick, but... Uh, what the, the, I, in my set, I do a, a fake version of it because it's just it works better. But the real story is when I was stand, I was eighteen. I was standing in Limerick, looking confused, okay, confused little boy, and I was wearing a Celtic jersey. And this must have pissed off this guy in the street, this local, because I was I was just off O'Connell Street in Limerick City, and this local comes up to me and he goes, "Excuse me, see you, see you," and he goes just beckoning me over. He goes, "See you." Right, see you, and he's like, he's like saying, he's like, he's like saying, come here, come here to me. So I walk over to him like a fucking idiot, and he goes, see you, and he's pointing at my face. And he goes, fuck you, right? And that was the whole thing. He just, and that was just like, yeah, that's all he said. Fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. You're out of your mind. I, I deserve that. What age I, is he? I, he's about thirty, I'd say. Like you know what I mean? But I was like, I was just standing there. I was just looking upsetting to him like he was just like i don't like the fucking state of this guy i'm gonna tell i'm gonna give him a piece of my mind yeah he fucking For, showed you he and did, he jesus did, he, christ yeah but it made it into my set but in a very in a very difficult i tried that on stage that way I, the way it really happened and it just it never worked the way i wanted it to but then this is this is how stand-up works you try a joke on stage like that that, that was how it happened doesn't work at all and you're like but there's enough there for a joke and then you kind of change the change it around a bit and then that becomes the truth that you present on stage an awful lot of stand-up is just presenting the it'd be great if real life was just so hilarious and so perfectly you know you could just transpose it directly on stage that it would just kill but like if you're doing professional level stand-up like you have to have a joke every 10 seconds every 12 seconds you know Mm. on average it doesn't have to be that metronomical but you know you have to have 
five, six big laughs every every minute, or maybe not big laughs. That's a bit egotistical. But you have to have there has to be a response, you know, the crowd, and you know, a, a verbal response, like you know, like the, you know, like, watch any top level stand up. That's that's the level of laughter they get throughout the whole show, you know. Hmm. Um. Yeah, and how are you thinking about it for the show? Like how you know you don't want us to go like a minute or two without anybody like you're you're trying to keep them constantly is that something you're thinking about as you're planning your what's that your joke like you know constantly like engaged like you know you don't you don't want two or three minutes to go by with no one laughing or uh, yeah well i mean you, you, that'd be a very bad set if you if you had two or three minutes going by with no one laughing just because yeah. if you especially if you if you was a paid spot you know that's too long really to be going hmm. unless so what, you, what, unless you, you, do, you were you doing do a some... 10 minute slot would it yeah, so it varies. Like obviously, it's all it's all like so in, in the Irish comedy scene anyway. You kind of start off doing five minute sets, um, and then you you kind of do five to sevens. Then once you start getting better, you might get bumped up to a ten. So the the the, the typical slot lengths are like five, seven, ten, twelve, fifteen. They tend to be the ones that are used the most. Doesn't mean you can't get an eight minute set, nine minute set would be pretty weird, or <laughs> an eleven minute set. You just don't really get those. But five, seven, ten, twelve, fifteen. Um, twenty, they're kind of your standard set lengths. Then you get twenty five, thirty, forty, forty five. That's getting into real experience, lads. Yeah, well, that's not even you wouldn't even get that in clubs in Ireland. Just it doesn't really work in terms of timings. So I think, and in the Irish club, how it typically works is the opening act might do about ten to twelve. So you got the host, then you got the opening act might do ten to twelve, then the second act might do twelve to fifteen, or it could be flipped. The first act might do fifteen, and the second act might do ten to twelve, or they could both do fifteen. I mean, there's no hard and fast rules about this, but typically that would be it. Then, then there'd be a break. Then the second half there might be an opener, or sorry, there might be a guy doing a, a guy or a girl doing an open spot that'd be like five to seven minutes, um, and then the headliner might do twenty to twenty-five. So that's kind of like an Irish club set, kind of. That that that'd take you about. That's how the crack then typically do it. That's how um, you know the the comedy crunch does it. That's how the international does it. And most of them have that kind of structure. And what time would the comedy the they crack then? Like, what would that start? Or how many acts would be on? And what time would it start and finish? Or would there be a general kind of so like structure? So typically, there'll be four four to five acts on in total, including that the MC. So typically, the MC, if you consider them an act, they be the first, I mean, they are <laughs> they're <a> human being. <laughs> I mean, I'm hosting the crack then tonight, but the act, you know, the MC is the the, the glue that holds the show together. The person who introduces the acts kind of gets everyone warmed up, but they would have, they, they're they're the first person. Then you have like two 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 performers, two stand up comedians doing straight stand up in the first half. Then you might have an, a a person do you might have a person do a small set, and then the headliner. So it would be either four or five people on the show. Right, and when the when the act actually, I just wonder. I was thinking of going in the next week or two, but. So when the gig finishes, then do you all like drink in? Say, is it Workman's tonight? No, you can't. It's only only twelve year old people drinking Workman's. Oh, really? It's unbelievable. They're so young in there. It's oh, really? oh, it's like it's like a teenage disco. No, it was like you. Could, of course, you could you could drink at Workman's. Um, it doesn't just, just close once the, the no no. I mean, done, like... Workman's has like a oh, the upstairs beside where the gig is. There's there's like a. It's not a nightclub. It's just it's where like it's like an outdoor kind of barry kind of area, so like a big smoking area. Yeah, the top floor there in Workman's they have, but it tends to just attract a very young crowd. Like I mean, no, no notably young, like eighteen, nineteen, 20, your age. I mean, you're twenty, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're your generation. I'll head in. So 
um so what do you think you'll obviously you're not gonna like it's never planned when you drink but like do you think after tonight yeah i'll have a few or do you know like it depends now like again because i because i'm allowed to drink again in my mind i could technically go have two or three points tonight i probably won't because i'll be exhausted because i have to i have to, i'm running the i'm doing flyer for the lads then i'm hosting the show so i'll be there from like i'll be in the club from about half five until about midnight i'd say tonight just doing different bits and pieces so i don't think maybe not midnight but i'll be there a while anyway you know what i mean and uh, i don't think um i don't think i don't think i have the energy to um to hang around it depends now because like who's it depends who's on tonight <laughs> ed salmon is headline and ed's a great lad so if ed was staying around for a pint I might stay around with Ed, you know, because Ed Edwin is a legend. He's yeah, just he worth, seems funny, yeah. You know Ed? Yeah, Ed's he's, he was off. Um, the first time I saw him was Bridget Naiman, wasn't yeah, he's, yeah, he's Ed, it? Yeah, he's just one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He's just wonderful. Ed, he's an unbelievable comedian as well. He's just a, yeah, he's just one. Of, there's loads of great people in comedy like that. They're just brilliant crack. You get to know them over the years. They're good eggs. Ed looks like a good egg. <laughs> Ed looks like an egg yeah, too. I didn't you know, want to say but it. but uh, he's a great lad. And uh, yeah, so if he was sticking around for a pint, you might be like, you know, even if I just had a walk, you know, he's a great lad. I think I said that by now a few times. But uh, just, just, there's there's loads of people in comedy who are like that. So, um, again, no, no plans. I, it's more of a spont- spontaneous thing. Again, probably not in the workman's, though. I'd probably be going, let's get the fuck out of, out of here. So where'd be where'd be the go-to place, actually, in town? I know you haven't drank in, what, four years in Dublin? Yeah, but, but I still I still go to bars an awful lot, just existing um yeah. just thinking near near the workman's where, where would you bounce to near the workman's uh i used to say shine but that's that's too loud at the weekend where is workman's actually workman's it's right on the keys there if you're if you're coming off of if you're on capel street if you go directly yeah. across if you go from capel street across the bridge to the south side like literally the, the canal there workman's is just it's just there basically just kind yeah. of kind of the but the, the other side of temple bar kind of just there right so and there's a there's a few good pubs around there i have no idea where i'd go but uh somewhere quiet maybe mary's oh, even that's too fucking loud nowhere's jumping up brogan's they're all i'm just thinking it'll be a friday night it'll be hectic wherever you go there's no quiet old lad pub like probably not yeah oh actually you said old lad pub there i'm just thinking of the fucking oh, what's the name of this Oh, it's gonna drive me crack now. There's actually a pub that would be that I'd love to go to, but I can't remember the name of it. But uh, it'll come to me in a second. But it's it's just up beside um, the cathedral there, just across from the cathedral. Oh, it's gonna drive me crack. They used to run a comedy club in there a couple of years back. It's on the tip of my tongue. It'll come to me in a second. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't actually know that many places in town. To be honest, like, I've, well, I'm never never really in there. It's either Manute or fucking Kilcock. I drinking. Yeah. Just such a nightmare. I suppose it's grand when you live. And you gotta town. go. Into, you gotta go to Dublin. Dublin's class. Yeah, I'd be there the odd time. It's just, it's just a nightmare getting out when you've no fucking money and it's just. Yeah. Um, not that I'd be tight. I just genuinely wouldn't have the money in my account. Like, you know, if I, if I had it to use, like. No, I understand. Um, yeah, but no, yeah. no, Dublin. Any time I've been there, it's been uh, thoroughly enjoyable. It's great, Craig. Dublin's a brilliant city. I, uh, I'm, I still, I'm still in love with it. I've been there twelve years. I still, I still love Dublin. Yeah, you still have the twang of the limerick accent i do i do yeah i guess you never lose it i'm not even trying to lose it i don't even know it just it's not as strong as it used to be but it's still there you know yeah 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 when i go back home to my family then i'm just within 10 seconds just lifetime of family trauma just brings it back you know <laughs> just 
you go full Limerick then when you go home? Yeah? I don't know if I go full Limerick, but it, things definitely get sped up and run together. You know, like breathing and sentence structure are optional, you know. You just get a lot faster just, and Everything is just... Because I grew up in a West Limerick country farm. So, like, holy smokes. People just speak like crazy down there. One thing I noticed about Limerick, I, I, when I was down there last week, uh, they just speak so much faster than they do up here. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that everybody... I definitely but... think I speak way slower than I... Way slower than I used to. Because I taught for a long time. I taught, um, I taught for, like, five years in, before I started doing stand-up. No, actually, while I was doing stand-up, I taught for five years alongside doing stand-up so about seven years ago i started teaching was it in any case i did it and um i kind of learned pretty quickly then that i needed to be a bit more mindful about my speech you know mm. so i think it was just a little those little things and then doing on stage as well even now even though i think i speak better than i used to and um, people i still get people from like like i was in uh lisbon there last week and people were like yeah i just i don't think anyone you were speaking so fast and i was like really i was i i was struggling to slow down there you know what i mean mm. so it's yeah you're kind of we speak fast i guess <laughs> is the yeah, point yeah. i'm making yeah yeah but yeah that taxi oh yeah i forgot to say that yeah it was that taxi driver is like real real limerick accent like proper like limerick um and he was saying he lived in the city all his life and we were saying oh we we're in fitzgerald's after the gig and lovely place so, and he turned to me he said oh geez don't tell me you fucking went into fitzgerald's like, yeah i said well, why what's wrong he said, oh, Jesus, I'm in Limerick City all my life and I wouldn't go fucking near the place. Yeah. I said, why? Oh, she was lads stabbed in there and all sorts of stuff. And in fairness, we were in there when all the Dermot Kennedy lads were in there. So I suppose yeah. it's kind of like going into a pub in fucking Summer Hill in town on, yeah. you know, on, on all Ireland final day. Like, it's fine until it hits 11 o'clock and the locals are the only ones left. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was funny. Because week four, I was actually at a different thing. And they ended up in um, Lloyd's hmm. beside Conley. I don't know, do you know it? And... Um, People were saying to me, I would said to me, kind of said, oh, Jesus Christ, like out of all the fucking places you could have gone into. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I just, just seemed to attract the, <laughs> yeah, the so-called yeah. rough pub. Well, I just didn't think. Oh, well, but at least when you're oblivious to it, then you'd be grand, you know, nothing's going to happen to you, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, there was actually, um, it was me and another lab were in there, but um, there was a there was a midget who was there. <laughs> and we were trying to, <laughs> you know the way you're kind of, you're like a child, so you kind of, your eyes are drawn yeah. to it. Like, no, not in a bad way. Like, you know, there's no bad. It's, it's hard not, I, I remember when I was, I'll tell you a funny story about, that if i can yeah. it's a funny story about that i was in galway when i lived there and i was drinking as i used to do and i still kind of do and uh i was uh, i was in great humor i don't know why but at the time my my go-to phrase was will it make me taller i don't know why but that was always my my response to everything it was like do you want to do something will it make me taller i don't know i thought it was hilarious and then this person tapped me on the shoulder and goes do you want to buy uh do you want to buy a raffle ticket? And I turned and I said, will it make me taller? And it was a fucking, it was a, oh, it was a midget settlement. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but you know who I'm trying to say, okay? It was a person, a certain height, little person, which I think sounds worse personally, yeah. a little person. And uh, I was like, will it make me taller? And she was about, I don't know, she was about four foot, I suppose. And I was just like, oh God. And she, she was the one, because she was like, don't worry about it. I know you meant nothing by it. And I was like, I know, but... I feel like an arsehole. Yeah, but it, it looked like it was planned, like, you know, for you to say. I don't know if it looked her. like it was planned. I don't even well, know. Well, yeah, no, it's just the fact it's such a specific phrase. I've never heard. I think it probably put... looked like it wasn't planned because it was so, it was so, I mean, it was so absurd to say it that any malice would be, to, to ascribe malice to it would seem, when you know, it, it just was a very, very, I mean, I was so mortified the second it happened. <laughs> 
I think it negated any possible ill intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just such a strange series of events. Will it make me taller? It's, it's just fucking... so specific. Like that's probably why. Yeah, I never seemed... forget it. I don't know. It was just one of those stupid things that happens in life. Um, what's your uh, favorite and least favorite part about being a comedian? Oh, my okay. My least favorite part has to be tell me a joke when you tell people they're a comedian. You're a comedian. They're a comedian. That's that's the most because I fly a lot for clubs and even for my own show sometimes. And sometimes, and people just, people on the street, tell me a joke. It's like, no, I'll, I'll fucking stab you in the throat, you can't. <laughs> I'm not a dancing monkey. Tell me a joke. Uh, that's, it's like, you got to be nice about it, but it, oh, it's so. What it's, do you, what do you say back? I just say, no, 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 thanks. No, here's the show. Actually, sometimes to annoy them, I, ha- I have a joke ready that no one ever gets for about three seconds. So it's the perfect joke because it makes everyone look stupid. So it's the perfect opportunity to kind of call them thick, you know? Yeah. So the joke is, um, what's the dumbest animal in the jungle? The dumbest animal who lives in the jungle. What is it? The polar bear. Jungle, polar bear. Why would the polar bear live in the jungle? Doesn't make sense. Wait. Why? Who's why, why, who's the dumbest animal who lives in the jungle? Okay. So I see. Okay. Yeah. It ne- no one. No one ever gets it immediately. Right? Every now and again, you get someone who gets it, but it always takes people a few seconds to trigger it. So it's the perfect joke to be like, "You're an idiot," because they've just asked you for a joke and they're too stupid to get a joke. Yeah, and they're probably standing there blankly. Like they have to there. be. They have to be because it's a joke that doesn't make sense initially. It takes a few seconds. So I don't know if it's a good joke or not. I think it works better when you see it written down. I think it doesn't work as well as a spoken joke because I saw it written down originally. Yeah. Puts them on the back foot though, because they're puts them on the back foot. It's the perfect joke because uh, you can just be like, hopefully you'll get the ones at the show. Yeah, you can say anything catty. You know what I mean? Yeah, you won't ask. You don't even need to be like, why even be that way? But you ask me, what what's the biggest thing that annoys me? That's the thing that um, upsets me the most. Has to be that. I mean, that's just the thing that annoys me. I mean, having a bad set, pretty soul destroying as well. And then the opposite was, what's the best thing about being a stand up? Is it or I think it's just. God, there's so many good things about it. It's really hard to narrow it down to one. Um, it's probably just, it's 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 when you have a new joke. It has to be that. It's when you have you have a new joke, you have a new idea, and you're excited about it. There's no better feeling in the world than that. I don't think. Yeah, when you think people are really when like you, you got a new that. joke and you're like, oh, this is the, the worst thing. Actually, is when that doesn't work, <laughs> because you know there's a lot of good, a lot of great and bad things about the art to stand up. I suppose, but yeah, I, I think the purest thing is a new joke or a new laugh. Maybe the first time you go on stage with that new joke, and you get a huge laugh because you never get that laugh. at this, You know, you can never get that new laugh a second time. So that's probably the purest thing, you know, even though you can refine the joke and make it better, and you tweak it and you 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 reshape the words and you, you kind of mess with it. You, you improve the joke as a bit to make it reliable time and time again. But it's that it's that first time that you that that first laugh because here's the thing about stand-up that you mightn't realize you know when you're in conversation and you say something truly funny and like everyone breaks up laughing and you get that that unbelievable warm feeling that like it's hard to describe right it's yeah. that like it's it's just whatever's happening in your brain that doesn't really happen in stand-up when you're doing a pre-recorded set because you've already done the jokes and you're kind of you're not 
free enough to be that be like that you know maybe if you were doing crowd work it could happen but but the only time that really happens is probably the very first time you tell a joke and and it lands you can kind of have a version of that so there's a very long way of saying what my favorite thing in stand-up is but it's probably it's it's the new 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 idea new joke and the response you get to it yeah no it does sound like to be a a good um kind of adrenaline kick to thinking of something it's new. also like, the thing yeah. it, just, it keeps you fueled as well because you're always there's always that next bit that you're going to find that's going to give you that you know there's always it's always just just around the corner hmm. and uh, and you never know what it's going to develop into so it's it's exciting yeah yeah uh the last thing i'll ask you about is um i didn't intend to talk about this at all until you said in the car but um <laughs> Uh, a list of really dark topics like yeah. you know, let's, what's your take on abortion John? let's get into it yeah this should be good <laughs> uh it was you said you quit your job in sales oh yeah that that was interesting when you said that <laughs> but it was interesting i don't mean like you know interesting like that i was like questioning why you did it but like yeah. um you were like what are you gonna do now without the sales john you can't survive on the comedy <laughs> what are you gonna do with yourself you think you could survive on uh, the comedy you know, if you had a big following or if you had it monetized correctly, you could, but it's not easy to get that set up, you know. Mm. You definitely can survive on comedy. It's just, it takes a while and uh, you probably can't do it for a few years. You know, you need to monetize a few different platforms, maybe monetize a podcast, get some Patreon subscribers. If you can monetize YouTube, I don't know how much money you can make on YouTube these days with us. But like people definitely make money through YouTube. It's obviously merchandise if you kind of get a bit of a brand going. Obviously then if you're touring, can make money doing that but again you have to really be doing shows of a certain size and have a certain pool it's hard to know exactly how but there's a few different ways you can do it um at the moment i can't i probably couldn't make like a full-time industrial average doing it that's for sure but you definitely make enough money to pay rent and uh, again it's it's like i said i think sometimes as well if you if you let go of other security things and just kind of have to find your way you'll probably find your way. You know what I mean? And uh, you'll pick up things, pick up gigs. There's also corporate gigs as well. That's a way that people actually make a lot of money. There's a whole corporate side of comedy where you kind of try and get into company, companies like maybe the big tech companies when they're hiring, doing their events, they'll hire like musicians and maybe comedians. They, they tend to pay really big money, you know, for that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, what was it like quitting your job? Was it scary or were you kind of like, you just wanted to be free? Yeah, I wanted to be free. I just I, I was in sales, so I found I found I took an awful lot of energy, and just I just I just thought to myself like you know you've got you've got plenty of time in the day to be doing something. I just don't know. I mean, I wanted to do sales to learn the skill. That was my primary reason for going into it. I never actually intended to stay in it longer than maybe a few months. It was more just to learn a couple of. I stayed. I did it for a year and a half. And it was still, a, and the great thing is you can go back to it. I have a background in psychology, so I found that interesting. There's a very psychological element to sales. All of life is sales, really, at some level. So it's really the most essential, probably, skill that you can learn, truly. But, yeah, I was happy to leave it. Like, I, you can go back. Like, it's not like I didn't give up playing for Man United. Like, you know what I mean? It was a fucking sales job, you know? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can get another one if I really wanted. Yeah, it didn't take you three years to get it, like. No, yeah, exactly. And I have experience now. And uh, I'd say if I went back and did a second sales job, I'd probably do it a little, I'd be able to do it better quicker because I'd, I'd have already had that experience. And another thing, is another phenomenon in life too. Sometimes you have to stop doing something for a while to find it interesting again. So it wouldn't surprise me now that I'm back doing comedy full time. 
if I actually start reading sales books in my spare time and find that interesting again, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest because that's happened to me before with psychology. I did a degree in psychology. Then I did like a, a an internship in neuroscience and I was kind of really going ho on that. And then I kind of didn't want to kind of do academia. And then I, but now I find myself reading psychology obsessively in my spare time, you know? So it's like, it's interesting how that works, you know? Sometimes you have to step away from something to find it interesting again. Yeah, because you think when you're a kid, you're just going to be like, yeah, I'll think of this one thing that I want to do for the rest of my life, and you stick at it for 50 years. But I mean, yeah. Some I mean, people are, but I don't. I think it's... I think that's hyper-specialization is obviously a great thing, but I, I don't know, does it make you a very rounded person? I think I think having a wide variety of interests is good for the good for a person. I think, but I, I yeah, I, you still you still probably have to really focus in on one thing, but I, I think there's many different ways to look at life. Like I think sometimes just doing lots of different things getting a sense of what you like can can be a good way to that's why i was saying to yourself about like you're only 20 just to kind of try try loads of different things and don't maybe don't don't jump into something just because you think it's something you have to do even though if people will tell you that that's the right thing to do it's like that's one perspective but there's also the perspective of discovering things robert green i don't know if you've ever heard of him the author he wrote like mastery and the 48 laws of power he's Oh, I've heard them books, yeah. Yeah, so he's a very well well regarded, kind of successful writer. Um, but he talks about that in some of his videos about how, you know, you need to get lost. His philosophy is just get lost loads. He 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 spent his twenties and his thirties, I think, just doing all kinds of jobs, like and he said that that was essential for him to become the person that he needed to become to be who he is now. So as maybe it's a bit of a specific example. But I guess there's a lesson you can take from it to, to try a lot of different things and learn it. Because I think he was saying that was the cumulative knowledge from all of his different all of his different experiences that really taught him about human behavior, which is what he ended up kind of writing about in his books, you know. Yeah. And I think like as you say about that, it's um it's important for whatever age someone is, like to not I don't want to look back in ten years' time and think I'm the exact same as I'm yeah. doing the exact same stuff and I'm talking about doing the exact same stuff or talk no, what, I'm still I talking about yeah. what i used to do or you I know i don't think that could happen i, I mean no. i mean i think i think you'll naturally develop and stuff but yeah i guess the, the point is you know yes it's, it's normal to think oh, i i care about this right now and this is the only thing i'll ever care about yeah but you know then in five years ten years you might still like that thing but you might have other things that you're interested in you know yeah things change so much in here that's one thing i've noticed uh i wouldn't be too like well you know i'm only 20 years of age yeah. like i wouldn't you know, i don't have much fucking life advice or life lessons for anybody like you know but i do notice like even in six months or a year if you kind of try to mm. you know if you, if you try something or you try if you don't just like fucking stay at home all the time you try to do different things like your life can change a lot in a year like absolutely um, yeah. and it's generally for the better if you're going out and trying to do things you don't have to you don't have to run a marathon every week but like you know just to just to subtly try and do things that are a bit different that you mm. wouldn't always do um because you kind of get into the habit of when you live and i know people always say it about the countryside and it's yeah. a big fucking it pisses me off sometimes all oh, the countryside cheese don't do anything different you know dublin is the place to be and this that's where you have to be and that's kind of like what i was saying this morning but i grew up in the countryside you know and yeah. I, miss, I miss the countryside a lot i miss the peace and the quiet serenity the people are nice you know a lot of a lot of great things about the countryside but it's also like when you get into the city life the you the city life becomes almost boring itself so it's like you know the degree of needing novelty or something maybe yeah i don't know yeah and like 
I, I won't stay here forever. I'd say I'd look. Well, I'll probably live in Dublin at some or some sort of a city at some stage of my life or a bigger town yeah, I mean, or something. I only left Limerick when I was when I was twenty, was it? So I mean, I didn't even move away from Limerick. So I mean, it's just just shows you that um, yeah, you just just follow, do whatever makes sense in the moment. You know what I mean? Like you're you're, you're living. Kildare is only you're only fucking two minutes away from Dublin anyway. You could be in Dublin every day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you properly fucking emigrated from Limerick, like. Yeah, I don't know if you emigrate from Limerick. Well, you leg it. <laughs> you leg it, yeah, get out of there. Well, I mean, I'm not even from the city. I'm from a lovely part of Limerick, like Kilcarnan. It's like a really beautiful parish. It's about 20 kilometers away from the city. So I grew up in the most rural, sort of incredibly sheltered sort of environment, you know. So it's a very nice nice part of the world where I'm from. The people are super lovely, you know. Very nice place. Yeah, I think people from the country... This would definitely be me if I was to go to Dublin. I think I'd miss the. I don't know. I think my identity is being from the country. Now that doesn't mean I'll stay there forever. Like that, you know that that can limit you a lot as well. You're like, no, no, this is who I am. I have to stay here. But I think if I was to, even when I'm, even when I stay for a few days down somewhere else, I kind of feel like, you know, like I, I all my friends are up here. Like I have. Mm. You mean you mean here in? Yeah, just this general area, like yeah, Newtown yeah. is this place, and like you know, I play hurling for the local club, and yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm you're very, known here. You're very ingra- ingrained with the local community. Yeah, this is kind of who I am, almost. You know, and you, then other people yeah. kind of they've known. Funny because I was never, I was never like where I was from was never as much who I was. You know, my my brother was a younger brother than me. He was very always all his life. He was very like part of the community. To the to it now, he, like he he does the farm now at home where we're from. So he's kind of taken over that, but also. Even as a kid, he was always like in all the teams. He was always captain of all the teams. You know, he was a big kind of character. Hmm. He was always very, you know, he was dating the woman's daughter who ran the pub for a while. So he used to just sleep in the pub. He used to just stay in the pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was very part of the community. You know, we only had one pub in the in the parish. So he was very part of the community. He used to he used to be like, he used to he used to when he was in the bar. Sometimes when they were short staffed, he'd just go behind the bar and start pouring pints, even though he didn't work there. Just yeah. to help out, like you know, that kind of it was that kind of a place, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's that guy, like you know, he's Mister Community, like you know. I think he's the chairman of the fucking GAA at the moment. Oh, is he, he? Might, he might be. He's always it's always on and off, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's every yeah. every couple of years it gets passed around, you know. Yeah, he does sound like the main man, or right? yeah, he's one of the lads. But one it's of... tough for people like that to leave, like you know, if he yeah. was to leave and go to Dublin. Well, that's that is his. That's who he. It's not a criticism. It's he, he's that's he's very very local, you know. Um, but I was never that connected to the place. Or I was never, I mean, I always had loads of friends there. I just, it was never my thing, you know, it was never like, even though I was, it was very nerve wracking when I did, obviously whenever you go anywhere, it's always a bit nerve wracking, but I never felt like it was my total identity, you know, where I was from, you know? Mm. Yeah. I just think about that sometimes. Um, it's normal though. The more ingrained, ingrained, the more a part of a thing you were. I was always a bit like when I was growing up, I think I was always a little bit, um, not a loner, but I, I used to be very like. It used to be like like being by myself a lot, you know. So sometimes, like I would rather than go out with people, I would rather stay home and read a book or play guitar. I kind of got into music a lot when I was a teenager, so I used to spend a lot of time just, you know, just doing that. So I think it just kind of it always made me want to get away from there because I was maybe more because when you read it sounds kind of egotistical when you read like lots of books, I think it, it you get you get lots of ideas in your head about places and stuff. You know, it fills your mind with imagine. You know, mm. not that you can't get that from movies or or anything. I'm not saying, but like, I think it was just the kind of you know when you read sort of a lot a lot of literature or things like that as a child, it does fill you full of romance about the world and it does make you want to kind of 
not that I went very far, I came to Dublin, like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I didn't go to fucking Timbuktu or anything, you know, yeah. but it just makes you curious, I guess, or, or it makes you want to at least move to a different city, at the very least. Yeah, 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 because it's a lot easier to stand out in the country, you know, in Dublin, it's very, you know, it's obviously very, a lot more vibrant, and there's so much diversity of people there. No, like, when you're in, when you're in Limerick, and, or even just here, like, doesn't, you know, if you're in a small little village and you don't play for the team or whatever, you're, you know, like simple stuff, like even like staying home reading or being a little yeah, bit you're, more. Yeah, you're kind of like, like your man there. He never fucking. He's yeah, always, he's always at the house. What's up with that there? Like, it's not know? hard to stand out. Like, no, it's really not. That's actually a good point. Yeah, it's you, you can feel very on display. Yeah, even when you're hiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, because if you're not kind of really extroverted all the time, it's kind of like yeah, because you know, Dublin point. is so fucking big as well. Like you know, you're never you couldn't have everyone be the same in Dublin. Yeah, it's true, and you're you are you're you are kind of anonymous in Dublin, even though Dublin actually is just a big town. Even even though it seems like a city, and it is a city, but it it doesn't feel like one because I always said this to my friend: like when you're in Dublin, if you're in Dublin City and you walk like along either Dame Street. Or up, or up, like not even Grafton Street, because even that, even Grafton Street feels like the city. But I don't know how this makes sense, but it makes sense in my head. But if you go up like Georgia Street and then up to Camden Street, that that long street there, and then across Dame Street, if you kind of just walk around that little area, like I, I run into people out there all the time, like day and night, just constantly, hmm. um, because that's where a lot of the comedy and the comedy clubs are anyway. But it's just, it's just, we just, it's just the main thoroughfare of Dublin. Like it's like. Dublin's a big city, but like everyone passes just to, through those two or three little streets just at some stage of the day, like you know it seems. So if you're in Dublin and you're on those two streets, like you'll you'll constantly run into people. Hmm. Like if, whereas if you were on like uh, Henry Street on the north side, I feel like that feels like Dublin city. Like I feel like I'd never run into I, no one I know is up like the north side doesn't exist in Dublin. I don't know who I don't know who goes over there. Is that it's like, like is that it's more like, like... It does, it's like it doesn't fucking exist? It's like I don't know who lives there. I see people there all the time, but I don't know why they're over there. I really don't get it. Like, <laughs> so no one passed through there. You know, no, they're all. It's all through Grafton Street. Everything, and Street. everything. My whole existence is on the south side. It, it does. You know, it seems like. Of course, I'm on the north side occasionally for things, but it, that really feels like Dublin City. The north side, like it, it, that feels like the Dublin City, whereas the south side just feels like Dublin Town. It feels like a totally different place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which bar is touristy in Dublin? I don't the even south side. Yeah, the a... Temple Bar would be just just on the south side there. Yeah, oh. but I mean tourists would be kind of everywhere. In fairness, but yeah, the Temple Bar just 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 right, really where the workman's is, just where we were talking about there, just mm. around there. Yeah, I mean that's where that's where you're going. That's where you're going to. That's a tourist central, you know. But tourists are going to be all over the shop because you know they're tourists. They get everywhere, but mainly yeah, just there on the south side. Yeah, but then again, even like. But they kind of just stay along Grafton Street, or sorry, um, they kind of just go up and down Temple Bar all day long, like like lost zombies, you know what I mean, with, with their fucking Carol's bags, yeah. their Guinness storehouse bags, you know, it's gas just seeing the same fucking thing every single person. You does. spot them a fucking mile away. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're, it's always oh, Carol's bags, Carol's fucking, you know, fucking shamrocky souvenirs. Yeah, and then it's Irish the, t-shirts, yeah. Irish hats. Fucking. And then maybe a whiskey, the whiskey thing in the jig or something like that. But yeah, and yeah. So you see them on Temple Bar the whole time, but I know that because I, I'm always flying for comedy clubs, so that's our fucking bread and butter is getting into tourists. Um, but obviously, um, if you're just on the south side, you're just just like literally one street over. It feels more like Dublin. I don't know if any of this is making sense. It no, makes sense in my head. Yeah, no, I think you're communicating it fairly well. Yeah. Um, but the north side is 
bandit country. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's nearly all I have to ask you, I suppose. If you want, you want to finish off with or any... I don't have anything to say. Uh, certainly nothing productive. Um, just, uh, I'm doing the Edinburgh Fringe in a couple of weeks. I'm a bit nervous about that. I still haven't really got my show together. It's actually less... I, I was actually... I woke up this morning. I remember I was saying, like, I, have to, I, I needed something to be doing today because I quit my job. And I should be working on my Edinburgh show. And then I was like, fuck, my first show is in less than two weeks. I'm like, oh, my God. The reality is starting to kick in now. So let's see how that goes. Yeah, it's yeah. time to start working for it. So. Time to start doing something. But look, I have, mater- I have material. I just haven't really formulated into... Like, what's going to happen is I'm going to do 10 minutes of crowd work at the start of the show. Like, just... There's no way around it. Ten minutes of crowd work is just, hey, where are you from? Who the fuck are you? Yada yada yada. You're fat. You're stupid. Whatever people say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, yay. As long as, however long I need, I need a good ten or fifteen minute stretch of just crowd work. Get the crowd warmed up. I don't need to do that, but let's get them warmed up, and then just do my material. And you know, it'll it'll last about forty five minutes. You know, not too bad. Oh, 45 minutes. Oh, that's a long set, isn't it? It's a long set. Yeah, I'm not really. Com- I've done a half an hour a few times. Um, so again, it's, it's just about stretching it out. It'll be grand. It'll be grand. I have the material. I just need to, I need to just package it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exciting. Isn't it? Yeah, it is exciting. It's nerve wracking. Um, the fringe is, it's going to be interesting though, because now I can drink again at the fringe. So that's, I could, I could destroy my whole fringe <laughs> by just becoming a crazy alcoholic. Actually, do you know how? I read this by, I shouldn't be, I mean, my friend, my best friend died of alcoholism. So when I joke about it, I, I'm not trying to be flippant. Like I know it's a very serious thing, but hmm. I actually realized or I found out what, what the actual, because when, when my best friend became an alcoholic, he became an alcoholic at 14. Like I'd never seen anything Ooh. like it still never seen anyone turn that fat. Like, and that's when you do realize that for some people, it's just, it does something to them. That's just like he drank, we started drinking like cans at about 13, 14. And I swear to God, within six months, he was a chronic alcoholic. I mean, chronic. I, I know it seems hard to believe, but it really is what happened to him. Like, you know, like, and he was like, he was like homeless at 17. Like, you know, it was like a really tragic kind of thing. But what they said happens people like that is uh, it actually creates an opioid effect in a very small amount of people. So that means when they take alcohol, it they, their brain actually creates an, an, an I don't know if it's the same thing as opioids, but it, it has that like incredible high feeling that you get from an opioid like heroin or, or opioids. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that's what was happening to him because it was such an instant thing. Oh, you know, and Jeez. it really and it really just it really anyway, not a fun way to end the podcast, <laughs> but hopefully uh, the drink it'll be grand. Obviously, uh, I'm looking forward to Edinburgh and uh, I think it's going to be a good time. I'm a little bit anxious about it because um, I've done an Edinburgh Fringe before and I know how incredibly difficult it can be because you get 4,000 shows all together and it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of extroverts. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot. It's shows from like 10 in the morning to 2 in the morning, you know, 10 a.m. to fucking 2 a.m. Straight, you know, so there's hardly any downtime, you know what I mean? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that is. What's that going on for two weeks? Um, three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. Fuck yeah. yeah. So it's a lot, and I'm doing two shows this year. So I'm doing my solo show, and then I'm doing an Irish compilation show. So it'll be a lot, but then again, that's why I quit my job. You know, to have energy for these things and to be able to focus on it. Yeah, this is the this is the big part of the year. So this is crunch time. It is crunch time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's again. It's for me as well. It's more like a baptism of fire. It's like I, I quit my job. I want to start doing stand up again full time. 
no better way to than throw yourself in at the deep end just do a full edinburgh fringe and just just go from there get that momentum it's a word i always use with stand up it's like momentum it's it's all momentum it's like once you once you have momentum you just capitalize on it you know i'm sure there's a point you get to in stand up where you don't have to rely on momentum anymore you're just established you can kind of come and go as you please but when you're kind of getting your getting your getting yourself started you haven't really built a name for yourself or built a profile people don't really know who you are the way you get going is just momentum you know you get, you get gigs you get more gigs people know you get involved with a club just whatever you can just to keep the keep the show on the road you know yeah like you're five years out now so you you could you know i don't think many people would argue with you if you said you were no, established at this stage. no of course yeah well established is a very hierarchical thing like you know it's like established is like can you sell out a show based on your name do you have a marketing machine behind you or, or so you know what i mean it's like mm. it's like stand-ups like any other endeavor it's like professional football you know it's like there's people at the very very top of the game there's people who are at different you know what i mean it's like it's the it's the exact same kind of thing it's like people some people just go stratospheric really really quickly mm. some people get there after a long period and in stand-up it can be more of a long-term kind of game you know it can be people can often take 10 years just to get really good at stand-up you know what i mean mm. and then maybe maybe then they start to really get somewhere you know what i mean it, it's it depends on the person not depends how hard you work at it how much focus you put into it how much time you spend writing every day do you know what i mean there's a lot, a lot of elements to it yeah you know? and you probably need a bit of luck as well it's gonna be a little bit of luck too but i mean of course you create your own look too you know what i mean i think yeah but you will i mean you can get lucky breaks too of course you yeah know? yeah but the as he said it only comes when you're in the right place yeah you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky 